Welcome to the Rhode Island Right to Bear Arms Network, a show dedicated to gun rights in the state of Rhode Island. President of the Rhode Island Fire Motors League. I know it's been a while, about a week or so uh, since the last podcast. I know we had hearings on the 19th, so I'm going to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about what happened on March 19th regarding the hearings and where things stand. We still are waiting for the Senate uh, to post hearings, and that should be any day now. So I'll talk a little bit about that. And then some of the things that I've sort of, uh, over the last two weeks or so, you know, there's obviously when you get close to the hearings and then post hearings, you see a lot of stuff from the anti-gunners, um, you know, trying to ramp up their their efforts and trying to get legislators to support their initiatives. And so I'll talk about some of the things that that they've shared out. And, and, and it you know, it really just it codifies a lot of the, the nonsense that we know that they believe. But it shows the extent to which they they, they sort of. Well, not sort of. They lie and manipulate legislators up at the state house, and that's where you come in, and the importance of you being involved in the legislative process. I just want to, uh, before we start, thank Tanya from Surplus Provisions for uh, setting us up with the giveaway, uh, sponsoring, co-sponsoring the uh, giveaway for the plate carrier and survival gear, the gas mask, the rations, the whole nine yards. So it was a pretty cool setup. And last week, uh, we gave that away. It was part of, you know, the incentive of getting people to sign up for Texas alerts uh, by texting all right, gun rights 88202 if you haven't done that already. But, uh, you know, it's to, it's to grab folks' attention, not that folks are we're implying that you're lazy or that you don't want to, you know, get involved. I think sometimes, you know, white noise on social media so you, you don't really notice a lot of things um, because there are lots of things going on. But, you know, it, it grabs folks' attention and gets them you know, uh, to sign up for, for alerts. So, and that's all important stuff. So, uh, again, huge shout out to her, which I need to still contact her and pay her for half that. But, um, anyway, uh, this month we're giving away, I think it's like 500 rounds of 22. I don't even know. It's in front of me. David Eichland from the Rhode Island Fire Motors League donated it. So again, I'll be doing that at the end of April. Um, so again, you have to text, uh, all right, gun rights, 88202, and then you'll be eligible for that. Uh, anyway, so, if you're in the area in Cranston, check out her shop. She's got a lot of cool stuff in there. I say her, her and her husband, um, they have a lot of cool things in that shop. So uh, you know, definitely check them out. And there, there's you know, as as many gun shops across the state or shops across the state that support uh, the Second Amendment. Um, you know, she does a lot to help out. She's a member of the um, Women's Committee, the Two A Moms. Although I don't think she's a mom, but that's okay. She can still be one. Uh, she's a member of the Ladies Committee on the Federated Sportsmen, and and does a lot of good things for the community. As do a lot of folks. So. Uh, if you get a chance, check it out. Anyway, so back to politics, gun politics in Rhode Island. We all got a chance to see uh, what happened on the 19th. So if, if you were, I guess, living under a rock somewhere in Rhode Island and you didn't know that there were hearings on the 19th, uh, there was a lot going on as far as promoting folks to get them to sign up to testify. It was all remotely done remotely. It was done on a Friday because they, they assumed that it would go very, very late. And it did. There were about three to 400 people that signed up on both sides to uh, testify. So there was written testimony. There was also uh, folks that wanted to speak. So uh, we 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 encourage people to do both. Although you know the written is important. They, they, not going to lie, they traditionally don't read your testimony. They'll probably just tally up the folks that are in support of or in opposition to these bills, which is 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 definitely important. So you got to make sure you do that. But uh, the written testimony 
there were about 16,000 or so written testimony, uh, folks that submitted written testimony. And we made up the, the majority of that, about 80% of them. I went through and, and started downloading um, the testimony. Prior to the hearing, they only had about 1,500 or so up on the website. So I downloaded all of it and then just kind of did a rough search for you know certain key terms. And, and we came up at making about uh, 96% of all the emails, but the anti-gunners had sent form letters where it was on all the bills. I think there were five that they were pushing. So I multiplied that by five and I, I came up with about 78% of the emails were in opposition to, or they were gun supporters, so folks on our side. So you know, they made up about a quarter, a little bit less than a quarter, about 20%. Uh, but the following day, they dumped in the larger portion or over the course of the weekend. So it was about 16,000. And I didn't get a chance to, to sort of go through that because they, they combined a lot of the messages or a lot of the written testimony into single documents, which you know makes it super difficult for us to figure out what's what. But we know based on the analytics on our website, how many folks actually sent them through our website. So we know where we, we make up the bulk of that 16,000. So we, we absolutely buried them in terms of the written testimony. Now, in addition to the written testimony, folks had signed up to testify either in favor of or in opposition to these bills on the hearing night, which was on the 19th. And it started about one o'clock. And I know that, you know, it's there were some things going, you know, the way they set the hearings up certainly weren't conducive to folks being able to articulate in an articulate fashion, sort of uh, explain their position on these bills. I mean, there were 20 plus bills and you had a minute and 15 seconds. They had given some of us. Uh, either you know folks that were in support of gun rights or opposed to, uh, they gave us three minutes, four of us, they gave us three minutes for the entire package of bills, which is still an insanely short amount of time given the complexity of these bills. So we had kind of divvied it up and, and covered each of the, the bills you know that we thought you know would resonate with some of the legislators and raising issues that we thought would grab a few of the folks that maybe are sitting on the fence. So, you know, it's not ideal. Again, three minutes, even they cut even the anti-gunners, they, the folks from the attorney general's office that testified, and clearly they thought they had, you know, 20 minutes to like they normally do. But they, you know, they held, I guess, you know, our concern was that they wouldn't apply the same rules to us and the anti-gunners. And they did. So I'll, I'll give the committee chair credit for that because he certainly ran the, com- the committee hearings, you know, pretty uh, efficiently. But anyway... Overall, as far as the hearings go, um, you know, if you usually it's the very beginning that's the most sort of interesting part where the sponsors of the bills, uh, in this case, get pummeled by the folks that are on the committee. So you've got representatives that are Second Amendment supporters or maybe representatives that don't really understand certain aspects of the bills that get to grill some of the sponsors like Justine Caldwell, who's my state rep which I'm sure you all know if you watched because she pointed that out during the hearings when I testified. Uh, but anyway, uh, she, you know, in, in typical anti-gun fashion, you know, didn't really articulate why we need these bills. And, you know, she was pummeled by both Democrats and Republicans uh, regarding what these things will and will not do and, you know, how efficiently that, you know, these things will be implemented and be able to reduce gun crime. And, and you know, they often point to uh, this idea that other states have had success with these bills. Uh, success in their minds is simply just getting it passed, right? Success in someone's, you know, an objective person would be that it somehow reduces crime. It, it aims to reduce, you know, mass shootings or whatever the situation is, right? And for them, it's just simply getting it passed. And then we know, and you know, from if you do listen to the podcast or you know in general from following the issue in Rhode Island, that it's purely political that we have the lowest gun deaths in the country. 
or one of the safest states, um, really in, in respect with all crime. Uh, so there's absolutely no need for this stuff. I mean, we can paint, create hypotheticals all day long and, you know, we, we, we can legislate based on hypotheticals until we have no, no civil rights uh, across the board, not just gun rights. So, um, you know, we're hoping that, that, that a lot of folks don't, in the General Assembly don't support that approach. And it seems like there are a lot of folks that we didn't necessarily think were on our side that were asking good questions. But as far as the outcome of the hearing, so the, they're held for further study, which is, is basically this process of formality where they vote and the bill can come back. These bills can come back at any time for a full committee vote and then a floor vote. So they're not dead, uh, but they're also not technically still moving forward through the process. So there was never a, a vote on whether these things should move forward. Um, the outcome of the hearings, uh, you know, at best, we, we know that we dominated in terms of our folks testifying at like a 10 to 1 ratio. Uh, so, you know, there were, there were anti-gunners early on in the night. And then later, as, as the night went on, we basically every phone call was, was a pro to a person. And, you know, the, though it was limited to a minute and 15 seconds, a lot of these folks use that time efficiently. And rather than rant about, you know, constitutional law, which is an important thing, but at the same time, a lot of legislators in that committee don't understand some of the things you're talking about. So they stuck to the points, which is essentially that these things would have an impact on you personally in ways that aren't good. Um, whether you choose to own a gun for self-defense, which makes up the majority of people, you know, hunting and sport shooting and target shooting and all that stuff is, is great. But legislators can't be convinced that, you know, you should be able to own larger capacity magazines to go have fun, right? But when you get into the idea that you own these for self-defense, it changes the narrative and then they start to really understand that maybe these things aren't, uh, you know, they do have something, uh, a, a usefulness other than what the anti-gunners tell them. The other observation you could have made, and I certainly did from watching the hearings, is that there are a lot more women that are involved in the shooting sports and, and they largely are concerned with self-defense from what I heard in the hearings. I mean, I have no way to quantify this other than just sort of in my brain tallying as I was having a couple of beers watching this, but or listening, but a lot more women, which is a good thing. And, and, you know, I know it's sometimes the anti-gunners, you know, pretend that we are astroturfing women and, and minorities in the, in the gun community, but they make up a, 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 a certainly a, a very relevant, uh, demographic in this state and it's increasing at an exponential rate so they should be concerned with that and i think one of the, the testimony that jake mcwiggin from the national shooting sports foundation uh, gave he pointed that out that in some states you know the legislators are getting nervous and they want to ram this stuff through because the demographic for minorities and women is growing much faster than they can you know really legislate so that's a good thing for us um, that, you know, people really want to understand what this community is about and understand about guns, but also that legislators are starting to be concerned that maybe this is an issue that should not be meddled with because it's going to affect a lot more folks than, than the typical what they consider to be flannel wearing, you know, men in, in places like Barraville and Exeter and West Greenwich. So overall, the hearings went well. I think, you know, our side represented ourselves in a way that was very positive. Um, we'll have to do this obviously again. So where we are now, the Senate will have hearings on the same bills. That could be any day now. Quite frankly, I expected it to be this week, but it looks like it probably won't be. So we'll have 48 hours notice. Again, we'll send out messages. We, you know, encourage folks to do all the same things we did this time. We'll send written testimony. We'll contact those legislators. And then we'll also have people sign up to uh, provide written uh, verbal testimony. Uh, so anyway, uh, 
to sort of run in tandem with that, so pre and post hearings, um, I just thought I would raise some concerns I have about what the anti-gunners are doing. I mean, they're always doing something, right? They're always scheming something to, to, to deprive you of your Second Amendment rights or your right to bear arms. There's certainly no surprises uh, in terms of the things that they are pushing for, but it's the tactics that they've been using over the last several years that really um, came to a head this past month, let's say. So for us, you know, our side, so let me just explain this first. So, you know, those of us that do lobby, Brenda, Jacob, David Eichlin, and I lobby, and then the boat, like, for the most part, but spend most of the time running the general operations of the organizations behind the scenes. Mike O'Neill and Frank Sikosha spend the bulk of their time in the General Assembly lobbying on the House and Senate floor. Now that's changed because of the fact that we have COVID and we can't really get inside the General Assembly. So we've all sort of in tandem been hitting up legislators and getting folks to contact their legislators personally if they do have a connection with their legislator to talk about what these bills do and don't do. So the end result is that we've been in contact with more legislators than we normally would because we're trying to shore up where we stand on these things. We're trying to sort of make sure that legislators are aware of what these bills do and don't do because a lot of them signed on to these bills, co-sponsored the assault weapons ban and co-sponsored the magazine restriction. And And what's blatantly obvious is that these legislators had no idea that these bills do the things that they do. And so there have been legislators, quite frankly, that have are, are resenting you know, the fact that they've been lied to. And so this is sort of the tactics of the coalition in that they, they are starting to see the cracks in some of the support that they have for these initiatives because these legislators were led to believe that similar to ghost guns and 3D printed firearms where a handful of folks might have them, uh, not that legislating something because only three people have it is, is, is okay. You know, the majority shouldn't bully the minority into doing something or having to comply with something that's not constitutional or is just not fair, right? Even if you don't believe in the constitutional argument, it certainly isn't fair that they're implementing some of these things. But I think that they a lot of legislators, the interactions I've had with them over the last, let's say, two months, um, it's it's blatantly obvious that they were led to believe that these things were rare, obscure firearms. And when you explain to them the magazine capacity restriction ultimately applies to all handguns that have a detachable magazine based on that whole floor plate detachable piece there. In addition to the description of semi-automatic firearms having these one, you know, one qualifying feature, you're talking most firearms. And so legislators are not happy, at least, you know, there's a, a significant number of them that are are starting to ask questions um, about the things that they thought they would support. And now it's changing because of the fact that they're getting more information from folks like the folks that lobby, in addition to the folks that are contacting their legislators. So um, it's important that we keep that up. And that's the part that I think uh, a lot of folks, the rhetoric is that, oh, they're just going to do it anyway. They're just going to pass it anyway. And I've said in the past that if that were the approach we had, 10 years ago or nine years ago or whenever this started after Newtown, we would already be Massachusetts and we'd be Connecticut. And we've we've been able to hold off those bills, those bad bills, because of the fact that, you know, we articulate this to our legislators and we have been fighting this fight. It sucks that it's a perennial fight. I get that. But we live in Rhode Island. We don't live in Alabama. And if that's the fight, you know, if you if you're tired of fighting for your rights, then this probably isn't the place for you to be. Right? I mean, and it sucks. I mean, I wouldn't want to move because of any legislation. If they pass it, I might consider moving. But, um, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to give up because I, I, I 
you know, because of the rhetoric that these folks won't listen to us and they'll do whatever they want to do. Legislators are listening, you know, and there are a fair amount of moderate folks in the General Assembly and even some progressive folks in the General Assembly, or I shouldn't say progressive, but urban liberal folks that really don't align to the gun culture um, that are starting to ask questions. And it's clear because of those questions, you know, that or through those questions, we can sort of gauge where they are on these things. And so there is a significant amount of pushback against those two big bills, the assault weapons ban and the magazine restriction, because they feel as though they've been completely lied to uh, and misled by the Coalition Against Gun Violence. And if you know anything about those organizations, it is certainly not, you know, like I love to be a fly on the wall as far as the conversations that they have with legislators that are that are in support of these initiatives or legislators that are really just not up to speed on what these things do and don't do. Um, because that's something I have not yet witnessed. I, I see the rhetoric on social media, and I'll get to that in a sec, but, you know, I see the, the rhetoric on social media for the most part and can only imagine what this is like behind closed doors with legislators that might not understand these things, right? So how many legislators don't really understand that the no guns on school ground bill is really about law-abiding citizens with concealed carry permits, right? Um, they they've, they present this concealed carry killer study uh, that came out of the Violence Policy Center, which is fraught with absolute bullshit from the beginning to end, where a concealed carry killer is someone that you know took their own life, right? Two-thirds of all the people in this concealed carry killer uh, study that were killed were actually people that killed themselves, which is different from saying someone took a firearm and went and harmed someone else. Uh, there was an individual driving a car that killed someone while driving under the influence of alcohol, but had a gun in the car and, it, and they had a concealed carry permit. Um, that's not exactly what I think legislators think of when you say concealed carry killer. Now, as far as the magazine restriction and the assault weapons ban, you know, they make reference to all the time the biggest, most scary looking firearms there are, um, the 50 round drums. They're not they're not going to draw attention to, you know, when they're trying to get a legislator to support their initiatives, they're not going to draw attention to the 12 round magazine, right? They're going to draw attention to the 50 round magazine drum or whatever they refer to it as, right? Um, they're not going to show you a picture of a Ruger, you know, PC carbine, right? They're going to show you a picture of an AR-15 with a grenade launcher on the bottom if they're trying to you know get a legislator to come around to their side so you know it's it's they they're completely distorting uh the, the reality surrounding these firearms in this state and the fact that they they're extremely common and a lot of legislators from the more rural areas in addition to the urban areas are asking questions now and that's a good thing so that's again where you folks come in where you start to you know, contact your legislators and explain to them what these things are and are not. Because I've gotten folks that have forwarded me the responses they're getting from legislators. And I'll tell you, there was a couple that from, from very anti-gun legislators in the past that have asked questions that lead me to believe that they're not in support of this stuff anymore. And that's what we need to do. So uh, on social media, I, I so I, one of the things I, I saw um, in my, I, I'm not a big Twitter guy, uh, but I testified on Friday, and I, I was one of the the bill I testified on was specifically the the magazine restriction and the assault weapons ban. And just my whole premise was that it was just these things have have proliferated in in Rhode Island to the point where you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Like, and again, in my original comments about successes in just simply passing a bill, um, it's reducing crime if that's what you think it does, but also having a level of compliance that doesn't leave folks, you know, suffering any sort of collateral effect or damage or, you know, essentially breaking the law without really understanding that they're breaking the law. And, you know, in three and a half, three or so minutes, it's not an easy thing to do. But I, I made the comment that 
you know, the fastest growing demographic, similar to Jake McWigan from the National Shooting Spots Foundation, that the fastest growing demographic uh, demographics are women and folks from the inner city. And I said that I made the comment that they'd be the least likely to understand the law because of the fact that they're new shooters. And so, you know, I think that's a pretty, pretty accurate description of a lot of new shooters, regardless of where they're from. Um, if they're not really in the gun community, I mean, think about how you know long it took a lot of you folks to understand the ins and outs of what law applies in which situations. And you, know, you could get yourself in a hairy situation if you weren't aware of what the law is. So, you know, piling on additional regulations uh, to a very regulated industry already um, is, is, you know, is, is fraught with potential, uh, I guess, felony convictions for folks that don't really sit there and, and refresh their computer regularly to figure out what laws Rhode Island has passed now. And, and you know, so it's, it's probably more beneficial to keep the way the, the law the way it is, where we front-loaded it, where you can't get firearms if you're a bad person, but not regulating the hell out of it after you own that firearm. But the next day, I um I I not a big Twitter guy. It's just not my thing. But I I noticed in my feed, my email, I got a notification. I follow Linda Finn from the Rhode Island Coalition Against Gun Violence. Don't ask me why, but uh, well now I know why because she she made a comment about me, but she didn't I guess you know put my name like hashtag whatever. She just simply put, wrote my name in, in in you know regular text and said that. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, Glenn Valentine says that women are least likely to know the law, um, you know, firearms laws, which is completely, you know, inaccurate and not my, you know, wasn't my complete statement. And I saw that there was one person, Melanie DuPont, who's actually run for Senate in District 23 or 22, 22. And that's the way, you know, Linda operates where, you know, she creates this this um, narrative that shows me as some sort of chauvinist sexist that thinks that women can't, you know, own firearms without, you know, doing something inappropriately or breaking the law. She paraphrased me inappropriately, left out a significant portion of what I said that changes the context. So this is a person that's lobbying at the state house for gun regulations. And so I called her out on it and I got no response as far as my, my, my comments. She she moved on to something else and accused me of, of you know, basically... Um, lying to gun owners about the magazine restriction and that, you know, it doesn't ban all all guns, it doesn't ban all magazines, and that we just lied to get more people on our petition, which I think probably is an indication that they're concerned that we had so many people sign our petition. But um, she said that I, in effect, lied to get folks to support um, or to oppose and support the petition. So, you know, I we had this back and forth, and it was actually working out at the time. So it was all fired up and you know ready to rumble, so to speak, on social media, like a, like a fifteen year old kid does, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not proud of that, but uh, you know, I mean, we kept it high level. We didn't insult each other personally, but you know, I I explained to her. I said, you know, I have not exaggerated anything with regard to the magazine restriction. That you know that portion, and it's line fifteen of a Bill five 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 four. I think it's I think it's fifteen, but. You know, several people have asked me about this, so I know that that's what it is because I've had multiple conversations where all magazines have detachable floor plates, and that encompasses all magazines, right? I mean, you, you can't get past the fact that the bill says that high capacity includes a magazine that has a removable floor plate. And, you know, I'm sure that there's gun enthusiasts out there that will point out that there's probably a gun, maybe a gun or two guns or five guns that might have magazines that have maybe tack welded floor plates, but. 99.99% of all firearms produced in the last 
you know, 100 plus years that have detachable magazines have a detachable floor plate. So in effect, you banned all semi-automatic handguns and everything. And that was in the committee, this big, you know, to do about this doesn't stop you. Jason Knight, Representative Knight, very anti-gun saying, well, this doesn't stop you from still buying a handgun for self-protection. Yeah, it does. Actually, it does. It stops you from buying pretty much almost all handguns with the exception of revolvers, right? So it is a ban on firearms in almost totality here. But uh, Linda tried to, you know, create this grammatical, I guess, gymnastics where, oh, no, it says or, or it says, and, and, and so when I went back and read this and, and multiple times highlighted it and actually put it into the tweet, which is, I don't think what Twitter is for. I'm way too anal about, you know, making my point. But uh, the point was that she was completely full of shit, and it's this idea that she's legit. She's she's basically dictating policy in this state regarding guns, and so someone that doesn't even understand their own bill is pushing to have your right to have a firearm that has got a detachable magazine, um, a semi-automatic firearm with a threaded barrel or whatever it is. Right? These were the things that were thrown around the committee here uh, in, in, on the 19th. She's making policy and doesn't even understand what her bills do. And so, you know, she she it, she ended by conceding nothing when, in fact, you know, she was absolutely incorrect. Um, but these are the folks to get the last word with the legislators, right? So she's got the cell phone number of probably 90% of the people in the General Assembly because she was in the General Assembly. So she gets to have the last word. So if you're not contacting your legislators and in, in discussing with this and with, with them personally, Linda gets the last word. And you don't want that because she doesn't care that you know, legislators might be led down a path thinking this doesn't affect a lot of folks. And I'll go back to my comments about Jamestown Representative uh, Deb Ruggieri. Um, she sent an email to a constituent that said, you know, he pointed out that these things are an infringement on his right in the firearms he owns. And she said, oh, no, and very matter of fact, and not in an aggressive, snarky way. Um, and I think was being honest with him that, oh, no, these only affect assault weapons and high-capacity magazines and don't infringe on the Second Amendment or your right to bear arms. Well, I don't think, well, I don't want to say I don't think, she can't possibly understand how, uh, you know, what the range with the scope of these bills, how far-reaching they are um, by putting a comment out like that. So I think they need to hear from you and they need to be educated on these things, looking to overtly sandbag constituents across the state. And, you know, I think that they're, they're going to probably learn pretty quickly if we do our job and we get our folks to go out there and contact legislators that the gun issue is an issue that it should be a dead issue. You know, there is no need to have the things that they're pushing. Um, it's purely political. And they also need to understand that, you know, a lot of the folks that are gun folks in this state are not necessarily Republicans and they vote in Democratic primaries and they vote in the general election. So anyway, I'll end there and, and I, you know, I'll, maybe I'll post some images of the exchange I had with Linda Finn. Um, it's not really all that interesting, I'm going to be honest, but you know uh, the gig as far as the nonsense that she's, you know, if you search their page, um, or you go onto her Twitter, you, know, you follow her on Twitter, which, you know, you need to probably have a couple of beers before you do that. But anyway, uh, you, you need to, uh, make sure that you kind of keep your eyes and ears, you know, you're, you're ready to roll when they have the Senate hearings um, that could be any day now. And we'll post all the things that we did last time. And we just need to make sure we don't waver. I know when we do the state house, when we're actually at the state house, we have rallies. Um, we traditionally see a drop when we get to the second rally because folks have done it already and maybe they're not, you know, as pumped up as they were on the first go around. Um, with this, I mean, it's virtual hearings, so there's really no reason why folks can't um, get involved and you can sign up to testify and um, you can you can submit written testimony, which is not a huge um, 
feat for you to do. I mean, we have a form letter which we put out last time around. Um, and we're hoping that you modify that so it's not always the same sort of message, but um, you submit that through our website so it's fairly easy to do. So anyway, I'll post links down below for our website. You can monitor that, our Facebook page. And if you're a member of a club or you own a business or whatever, um, just please promote the text messaging. It's RI Gun Rights to the number 88202. And just let people know that you know we're sending out messages only when it's you know super like it's DEFCON one, right? So um, you know we need to be at the state house, or we need to call our legislators, or or it's an election. You know we need to make sure we're involved in. So as soon as we hear when the next hearing will be, we'll keep you uh, up to speed on that. And uh, in the meantime, uh, take care.